Hello and welcome to Art in the Age of Lockdown with me, Ilaria Bevan, brought to you by Artpop magazine. Every week you'll listen to a conversation between myself and a range of artists, gallerists, curators and other art professionals about their experiences since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as their hopes for the future. I am delighted to announce that this week's guest is the distinguished architectural historian, Professor Alexi Leporg. Prior to his current position as keeper of the 19th and 20th century prints at the prestigious State Hermitage Museum in Petersburg, Alexi lectured at the Technical University St. Petersburg and then at the European University St. Petersburg. With many interests including the Austrian artist, poet, playwright, teacher, Oskar Kokoschka, and the Austri- and Austrian Expressionism, contemporary architecture and Italian Renaissance architecture, Alexi is a valuable addition to the Hermitage curatorial team. Welcome to the podcast, Alexi. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, Alexi, where are you at this current moment? I'm at home now. It is Sunday um, evening, and as I live in the center of St. Petersburg, now it is better to say at home on on at weekend, because you see, God knows what our police is going to invent, what streets could be blocked. <laughs> so we prefer to stay at home. Better to be safe than sorry, yes, I imagine. Exactly. Yes. And so, well, I... in order not to be arrested on the way when you're on the way to bakery. Yes, maybe not. So, <laughs> is St. Petersburg open for business and tourism, or is it complete lockdown? Or I guess, as you said, it's kind of confusing no but in fact uh, as you can imagine we are open just for russian tourists Mm -hmm. because borders of russia are basically closed and um, and i it's hard to imagine that somebody would risk uh, to to come here um, as a tourist but also it is for many countries that's simply impossible Mm. Um, there are flights to london but it doesn't mean that people would dream to come here because also from the uh, pandemic point of view, we are not in the best situation. No, no. But we'll come on to that in a short moment. But I always like to start off by asking, what would have been your routine at the museum or just in your daily life 12 months ago? No, in fact, daily routine was quite easy. We, have to, we had to come to Hermitage daily, to sit there, to do whatever... Uh, what is current things to be done, I mean, in in case of some exhibitions or exhibition projects, or reading and writing and making our research. But now that's all in the distant past. And how has your own work at the museum been disrupted as a result of the pandemic? I I mean, you're working at home. Is the hermitage open? Is it closed? What are you able to do at the moment? No, hermitage as a museum, it is open. Um, for visitors. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's limited amount of visitors, all tickets are online, uh, all has to go the prescribed route in the museum, so just one way and not any other um, turns and etc, etc. But all uh, curators are at home. Mm-hmm. And so we are at home since last March. So it's yes, nearly here. Yeah. Exactly. And a strange thing. And actually, you mentioned that you have all these 
roots from the museum and I've seen that the Hermitage has been very active on their news pages and you know they've created all these um interaction interaction like screens and things in the museum could you tell me a little bit more about that um in fact i i am afraid that you know more about it because you see all these um activities of the hermitage in social media etc etc on website and so on that was mostly done and is mostly done by our educational department mm -hmm. because unlike um your museums Hermitage has huge educational department. It is, um, I mean, if I, I can tell, if I will tell you numbers, you could be utterly surprised. But I suppose Hermitage has something like 150 guides. In oh, the wow. Staff. And in order to keep them somehow busy and also be, um, to give them a chance to report that they do something. So it was kind of uh, these invented activities. And that's the same. So I presume they have organized the uh, Hermitage Next to You program as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was their job to do it all. Yeah. And were you involved in any of the curatorial you know, projects within the current exhibitions? You have six in total, which is, you know, absolutely remarkable, um, including yeah. Raphael, Cecil Beaton. You know, were you involved in, any, in the curation of any of these? Raphael, yeah. And because that is, was curated by one very good colleague of mine, and uh, I also I have written an article for that catalogue. How did you manage to put together your Raphael exhibition when so many other museums and galleries put theirs on the shelf until further notice and you managed to open it within the calendar year of his 500th anniversary, which is extremely impressive? No, it was not an easy activity to tell you the truth, certainly, uh, but it was quite hard uh, to organize it all. One of the consequences of it, so just to for you to understand, is that a catalog of the exhibition is not yet published, but exhibition is going until March, and I suppose I am afraid it will be published very, very close to the end, if not after the exhibition. Because curators, because you see also the way of working at the Hermitage is slightly different from uh, Western uh, museums, European, American, British, whatever. Uh, because there is no clear um, distinction or difference uh, between curators responsible for all, let's say, including all paperwork. Certainly there are departments that are doing it at the Hermitage that are mm -hmm. helping. But still, there are two curators, so it's surely the best exhibition of the Hermitage in many, many years, if not mm. decades. But it was done by two, for Hermitage, relatively young curators, um, Zoya Kupcova, who is curator for Italian paintings, and Vasilio Spensky, who is curator for uh, prints, in fact, partly Italian Renaissance prints, but partly not, but in any case, but by these two curators, and they are, so she's 40 something and he's around 30 early 30s so right. hermitage, yeah they are very young because hermitage likes as you can imagine such a old school of bureau, <laughs> uh, when people are probably not quite able even to talk in public when but still so they they, they did it but they were responsible for all and uh, in fact at the end uh, they had to deal with all these museums um, organizing that um, it all takes place. So it, it was a very hard job for them. So I presume they were coordinating all of this online. And how did they manage to get all of the 
paintings to the Hermitage. Yeah, but I mean, Hermitage, uh, also there is such a unique situation that Hermitage has its own um, shipment department that oh, is okay. responsible for art, uh, for transporting art. Mm-hmm. No, unlike, for example, in, mostly in, in Western Europe, uh, I mean, in European Union, I suppose, they use uh, German company Hasenkamp. But Hermitage, unlike all other museums, has its own transport company. I see. And can you tell me a bit more about, you know, the essay that you wrote for the catalogue? No, I wrote uh, such an article because when, when it was all invented, more or less, by the colleagues of mine, as I mentioned, we were discussing it and they had even a model in the next room to mine. They had such a model of exhibition just showing what they're going to show mm-hmm. because the exhibition more or less goes like such a um, progression of idea of Raphael's line or to be more specific, um, Raphael and his influence through centuries. So when yes. we enter this exhibition, so first you can see frescoes of Raphael's school that are now under restoration, that's such a special entrance. And also in that hall there are several drawings, including one fantastic, absolutely amazing drawing, really, to die for um, Phrygian Civil from British Museum, from the British Museum, uh, because they dream also to get one painting from Paris, hopefully it will come. And um, But then it goes through, so Italian Renaissance, um, 17th century, 18th century, up to the 20th century. But the idea was to show influence of Raphael in all possible media, so like, for example, uh, Raphael's um, inventions in, um, in painting were then reproduced, multiplicated in prints, and then prints had its own influence that you can see compositions of Raphael in Italian majolica or in bronze or um, uh, in um, so northern art in, in a huge variety of things and so that's it's such a combination of paintings drawing and huge amount of implied arts and that was an idea and as we discussed that time uh, also because you see Hermitage has not an unlimited uh, exhibition space so that's why they decided not to make any special segment on um, architecture of Raphael but my article deals with Raphael's orders and Clancy was very fond of it and said that's fantastic then we can have double so we can have mm. this one and also such an interpretation of Raphael Lodge in the new building. So your article essentially do you do you know why they decided to include the Raphael style lodges? Yeah but you see because uh, the cult of Raphael was extremely important yes. uh, in the 19th century they were worshipping Raphael and Bavarian architect uh, Leo von Klenze was extremely fond of him. He was fond of his architectural inventions, of his um, all this um, system of decoration that mm. imitated Roman uh, palaces. With St. Peter's Do- and things, yeah. Yes, and Domus Aurea of Nero in Rome that imitated that. It was later so repeated in Villa Farnesina, in Loggia in Vatican, in Villa Madama. And it was such a decorative scheme that <clears throat> influenced a lot. By the way, it, it is also connected to England because it influenced very much uh, Adam's style. 
because uh, one of the elements of Adam's style was certainly um, uh, Raphael's decorative schemes with all these arabesques on the walls, or grotesque, whatever you call them, with all this system of wall paintings. Um, and in the um, ancient style, in the style of Greece and Rome, and that was an idea. And um, so it continued, and that's why it came also to the Hermitage, because also New Hermitage, when it was built, it was such a richly decorated museum, and one of the important features of New Hermitage in St. Petersburg is that this building is looks exactly as it was in the 19th century. Kind of because, repeating history, almost. Yeah, because it all survived as it was, and that's why we can look at it and more or less we can trace um, the ideas of it all um, in reality. And you can trace it all the way back to... Yeah, exactly. Raphael, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And thinking about changes in the museum, so I met you shortly after, I mean, when was this? 2016, I think I met you. Yeah. Um, shortly after the museum decided to move its collection of modern art out of the attic rooms into the, into the Winter Palace. Um, and in your opinion, has this reorganisation been well received and successful? How has it um, been incorporated into these new routes? within the museum as a result of the pandemic? No, in fact, certainly it is very successful because uh, finally all impressionists and post-impressionists got huge space and there is space to exhibit them. One can discuss what is well exhibited, what is not so well exhibited, but you can imagine there is a chance to change it already in the good sit new situation. Uh, there is new galleries and uh, also for the pre-pandemic time they were quite good because it allowed Hermitage to, to get slightly less, I mean allowed old building with the Winter Palace to get slightly less amount of tourists than before because mm -hmm. some were going to uh, these impressionist, post-impressionist uh, areas uh, to, so, uh, to the another wing. It also gave the chance to have at least some space for, um, for exhibitions of contemporary art. And as you mentioned, Cecil Bitton is, for example, in, is in general stuff. And by the way, there is also another exhibition that is, I suppose it's already cl it closed recently, but there were such a three exhibitions quite recently in the general staff building. And also there was another exhibition that I was also involved in the last month. Uh, and that was the views of Palmyra in Western European prints, and so imagery of Palmyra in how it was discovered um, in the 18th century by English travelers, how it was published, um, and what influence it had on um, European architecture in general, although this aspect was basically not shown on the exhibition, but also how to what extent it influenced the general staff building on itself. Because you remember, in the general staff building, there is such a big arch in the middle, mm -hmm. with such a turned, because there are three arches, and so when you walk from Nevsky Prospect, uh, if you are not arrested on the way, <laughs> then you can reach Palace Square. Uh, and there is such a theatrical turn, and then suddenly you see it. Presumably, the theatrical turn was influenced by one uh, gate in Palmyra, uh, but it is such a hypothetic idea of mm -hmm. one of the uh, local architects that influenced that exhibition. We had a major discussion with him about it. I'm not sure that it really influenced, but in any case. But just as we mm -hmm. mentioned the, the current situation, just to tell you 
the, the, <laughs> the reality. In fact, I, originally I was asked today to talk to one TV channel, such a small oh. comment on architecture, on Palace Square. But when they called me um, beginning of this week, I said, yes, whatever. And then <laughs> closing time uh, on Thursday, I said to them, are you sure that the, we, we would be able to, to come to Palace Square on Sunday? Because you see all our Sundays, the blocks of Central Squares. Yes, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, because they're closing. I mean, although there are no protests, no demonstrations, nothing, but they close uh -huh. it. Of course, just for safety. Just for safety reasons, and that's why all people say, even all people who are not interested in politics now say, they are afraid of, they have much to lose. That's why such a situation. In any case, to make it short, uh, Friday I called TV and said, are you sure? They said, yes, yes. And they said, yes, but you will take me in your car on the way. Like, I don't want to walk. <laughs> exactly, because I don't want to be arrested on the way. Uh, and they said, yes, yeah, sure. And then I said, good, because then in the worst case, I will embrace the camera of the TV company. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so that you see that the TV company would certainly will try to get its own camera as it is expensive. Uh, they probably they wouldn't care about the people who are filmed, <laughs> but at least about camera. But yesterday evening, for example, it was quite typical, something like seven in the evening, producer called me and said, you were right. Let's do it on Monday. God knows what happens. Mm. Uh, because that's really it's such a current situation. Uh, so much uncertainty. Yeah, because even, I mean, it, it was quite funny that even state theatres um, published an announcement on their website, theatre that allocated close to Nevsky, uh, please take your time and come earlier in advance. Just so uh, that people are spread yeah, out and... Yeah, just so that nothing happens and you have time to explain that you're going to the theatre. Because, for example, um, a week ago, and especially two weeks ago, most of the people who wanted to come to the Hermitage and bought online tickets, uh, they had no chance to come to the Hermitage. Oh. Because it was so blocked and police were not letting them go. Even if and they produced their tickets? Yeah, even if they produced... Two, two weeks oh. ago, that was absolutely out of any discussion. A week ago, there was kind of discussion, but police were saying, come to the museum later. It's not a problem. But not now. And so, and that's why, as you can imagine, I am afraid that Hermitage will lose also weekend tourists now, or visitors, mm. not tourists, but visitors now, because people would not risk to come. Yes, particularly, you know, because I wanted to ask you about, you know, how things have been since the Navalny, you know, versus Putin protests yeah. and the Valentine's Day with the phones and the lights and the hearts and everything. Um, yeah, what has the environment been like? What has the atmosphere been like? But in fact, you see, it is one of the major propaganda failures of, uh, mm. of our current regime that they made so much, they created so much problems out of it. And because even people who were not interested in politics and who were, I would say, rather positively um, tuned towards our current and eternal president. Uh, but uh, now, even these, I mean, people who are so completely under the impact of state propaganda that goes from TV and so on, uh, they start to think and they make such a very simple comments. Um, 
as I mentioned already, uh, our regime tries to protect themselves so hard that exactly um, that's why people say they have so much to lose. Mm-hmm. And I mean in property and money. Because also, as you can imagine, that um, all pandemic um, influenced also income of many people, that salaries became lower in many sectors of economics. Indeed, yeah. yeah. And it is everywhere in the world, that's inevitable basically. And uh, so people are already not so um, positive. Um, and mm-hmm. then with all this situation, they become even less. And uh, yeah, and that's why it certainly influences a lot. I mean, today's uh, idea with all these flashlights or whatever it is called, um, it is slightly funny idea, as you can imagine. Um, I'm not sure that it's the greatest invention of them. No, uh, just something uh, more positive. Yeah, but yes, I mean, it is something A media that, stunt, really. Yeah, but... Um, that was not the best invention in any case. But also um, our authorities, they create problems for themselves as, for example, also this um, current uh, process against Navalny because of this blaming this veteran of war. Yes, I saw. And so it's permanently on TV. And at the end, even people who are who can take the state position or authorities' position that he so blamed that person or offended that person. At the end, they all say, we are fed up with him. Any, why do you show him? Why did this circus when this invalid who is uh, sadly very old and ill, uh, who can believe that he was able to write a letter and was offended, uh, really? Because also, I mean, it is, I mean, it is in general such a stupidest situation when the, his grandson first says of this invalid or veteran said that he was not writing letter then finally he comes to the court and, and talks it is it is too much of this but also at the very end uh, our political leaders uh, make uh, Navalny even more popular because just imagine yes. he is taken to prison and sent to some camp, uh, whatever in central Russia, whatever Ural, Siberia. I don't know where he works at the colony where he works for two and a half years or two and month, two years and eight months or whatever. Uh, if there is silence, people remember him less. Yeah. Uh, but if one talks about him non-stop on TV permanently. Uh, this very idea that we accuse him completely turns with this opposite. People say, aren't you fed up with him? Why are you so focused on him? Is he such a real danger? And even people who are positive to, to the authorities say, probably he's not such a bad guy as you would like to present him. And especially all these propaganda activities show in the villa where he stayed in Germany, and then suddenly, understandably, uh, that, uh, that it um, just before we started to talk, I saw that the owner of this German villa made also such a such a comic propaganda film imitating the Russian mm. Russia Today's film, so Russian state channel. But also, but one has to admit the very simple fact that Navalny, with his film about Putin's palace in um, in the south, he certainly um, he did a lot because, I mean, 90 million people or 100 million people who watched it, that's a lot. And even people who were um, rather positive uh, towards Putin, now when they saw that film, and especially that two weeks gap between when film was published 
And when it was finally said that the palace that belongs to the Putin's friend and not to Putin himself, mm-hmm. that was too long. Yes. Also, because media should react immediately. But sadly, uh, for them, we can see too many mistakes of our state security and our state propaganda. No, with the two, I mean, you know, two weeks is an incredibly long time for anything and it allows the public to create situations or create theories about the palace and the video in their minds whether they be true or not it doesn't matter the point is that you know they've been allowed to fuel their imagination and it doesn't matter whether the palace was putin's or not or his friends or not i mean the judgment is still there and was made already you know how is this atmosphere contributed i mean i know you said that the museums might be shut and things like that going back towards the museum do you think that this will impact future visitor numbers no i do not think that it will affect in future because you see um no, certainly after a while uh, it will become more quiet and mm. I suppose our authorities will, will have to accept the obvious fact that there are no planned demonstrations, there is no need to block streets or squares. I'm not sure that these demonstrations will restart soon. Mm-hmm. I, would, I, I do not think so, but probably I'm wrong, but I cannot imagine it. And certainly, I mean, the tourists will come because, you know, in any case, museums lost so many tourists last year. Of course, yeah. Because Hermitage, yeah, because Hermitage lost 80% of tourists last year. Oh, wow. 80%, as you can imagine. Uh, But um, the situation in Russia is slightly, certainly different from, uh, let's say, bridge situation because our museums are completely state-funded. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, the very beginning, already in spring, uh, Putin promised, and really he gave money to Bolshoi Theatre in Moscow, to Hermitage, and some other museums. So to keep culture alive, essentially. Yes, to keep our culture alive, but um, so the financial situation hasn't changed so much. No, it hasn't changed so much, and in fact, there is not so much reason to complain about it. Uh, Hermitage was getting some money from it income from tourist income for some extra projects now less but um, in fact it didn't influence the situation so extremely much um, uh, how it goes in future we'll certainly see but you see what can we say about future now I mean, year ago we, we yeah year ago we had no idea that it would last so long yeah it's <laughs> true uh, I mean, if somebody would tell us a year ago, you see, uh, home office will become your no- normal situation and online uh, universities will become normal situation, people would laugh and say rubbish. But that's reality. Uh, and so we all stopped to travel. I mean, I mean, in your part of the world, certainly much more severe than here. Yes. Here one can travel inside Russia. But still, in any case, that's why future is a question. And politically, um, we all saw that, in, for example, we were all impressed in summer by protests in, in Belarus, by these demonstrations with millions of participants. We were all so shocked with the cruelty of their police. Um, and mm. what is now? Peace. So it's 
kind of gone from one extreme to the next. Yes, I, and then I it presume. will... No, because the, in fact there are no reasons in Russia. I mean, there are reasons, but there is no, no regime stasis as it is. It is surprisingly strong, consolidated, solid, and mm. it stays. And that's very hard to imagine that there could be some uh, uh, changes. Yes, I was going to ask, do you imagine that there will be any changes to the political situation or the government at all? Or I guess, no? I would say no, because you see, I mean, there could be demonstrations, there could be protests, but um, uh, Putin and his regime, they burnt out political fields so much and control it so much that there are no political parties that mm. would be independent. Even the so-called opposite media, Oh, liberal. Isn't they belong, really. Yeah. Uh, they belong to Gazprom. <laughs> and oh. it says a lot. And so it is more or less, it looks like part of state propaganda. So we allow to show that we are liberal, mm -hmm. that there is a variety uh, of uh, opinions, even if it is not so. So I assume that it is for a long time, until economically the model of uh, current Russian state uh, collapses, we will stay in the same situation. Yes, because I was reading that 55% of the population would vote for Putin again, and only 2% would vote for Navalny. You know, I quite mm. agree that I don't think, until there is a much larger protest, and you know, yeah. this, I keep reading, this has been the largest protest since 2012, it will take a lot more for there to be any actual change. Also, Navalny is not kind of a politician who has any kind of programme. Mm -hmm. He's very important as the critic of the regime, of its faults, of its etc., etc., etc. He doesn't have a, any clear vision of um, economic development of Russia. That's not sure that there's a very mm -hmm. close future. No, and I guess he's not really intending to run for anything political. His aim is merely to critique and yeah. expose yeah but that's just creates that problem that if we are just criticizing uh, without any uh, movement that could say uh, we have another vision of economic development then it is um, rather hopeless mm -hmm. because as i mentioned already there are no parties and no chance for any parties and also all business is completely state yeah so if there was to be a political change the museum for mm. example the hermitage museum things would completely change and from what you've told me the museum seems to be doing rather well yeah i mean for now yes i mean especially as a major museum certainly in the provincial russian cities it's different but but there it is all quiet and much more hopeless in the centers Mm. And a few moments ago, you mentioned that you that travel in Russia was a, a you know within Russia was allowed, and you've mentioned to me that you've been traveling around Russia over the last few months. Could you tell me more about your travels and what you've been up to? Oh, in fact, uh, I have to confess that I travel certainly a lot in Russia because mm. there is no chance to travel outside, mm. and one can become so bored. Um, I quite agree. I Yes, either dig in the garden, and when suddenly a Russian season is limited, and so when digging the garden is over, um, it is too boring to sit at home. And so I had several such very short 
every time, such a three days, four days trips in Russia. And this is quite an amount of Russian cities, especially in the central Russia. I mean, cities that are not so known in the West, Saratov, Pienza, Tambov. But for example, Saratov is nearly one million city. Now, understandably not known in the West, but still. But if you would ask me what is the main impression is the gap between life in two major Russian cities, in Moscow, Petersburg, and provincial Russian cities. And have you enjoyed so, traveling around? I mean, I enjoyed. It was very interesting. It was, I saw a lot, but gap in life is immense. Mm-hmm. It is much greater than between, because you see, certainly there is great gap in life between, I don't know, London and uh, whatever. Sheffield. Uh, in Russia it's different because uh, life in the small Russian city can create an immense amount of problem. Poverty. I mean, they are much poorer than central Russian cities. The major index for it could be um, uh, city traffic, buses. Uh, they are so ticket for bus in central Russian cities and Petersburg. The difference is four times. Uh, Sorry, three times. Mm -hmm. It's three times cheaper. And it just shows that people have three times less money. So the materialistic kind of aspects are a direct correlative to the financial situation of that particular place. Yes, exactly. Because you see, and it also, it is connected with what we just talked about now, that there is no private pri- private business initiative. And in some cities, there is nothing. I remember I had to change a train between so cities of Penza and Tambov in such a small city that has 40,000 population, but still 40,000. And I talked there in the cafe with this, with a waiter and said how life, and she said to me, but sorry, there is hopeless life here. There are no factories. In the Soviet time, there were three major factories. People were working, had their job. Now, they aren't. And I said, and what about the youth? And she said, two alternatives. Either they go to Moscow or they drink and drugs. And and I say, why not to any major city that is close to it here, like Saratov, one million people? She said to me, but sorry, what's the difference between our God-forgotten place and this one million Saratov? There is no job there as well. I mean, there's job enough just for their local inhabitants. And you can see it because nowhere on the way I saw any so big new factories, enterprises, offices in the center that you would think mm, something is emerging. And also, basically everywhere, you see such a sleepy life. Also museums, you would not believe. Extremely sleepy. Um, very worn out, very tired. Completely. I mean... It looks like so that all this museum display was done in the 50s or 60s. Mm. Only in some places it is different, in some, but not in many. Uh, Only some have some ambitions to become such vibrant centers. And mostly no interest at all. And even when you ask, so try to contact curators, having some ideas in mind about some paintings, attributions, whatever, they're not so interested. Some are saying yes, but this attribution was done in 60s, 70s. I say, yeah, but I even know who did it. Uh, but um, don't you think that it would be interesting to think about this, that it takes so many efforts. Because they're not even, motivated. They, they are 
they, they do not even because they don't have access to books they are out so they are cut out of so current life there and they're not interested only in some places it so starts to emerge so differently but basically it was surprising empty museums and i mean i was most places i was the only visitor but no interest at all uh, and it was quite um, shocking in some respects uh, and i presume in comparison to the hermitage which is you know one of the you know world's most renowned you know museums and collections and then within the same country you have such outdated enterprises were there any that really struck you no but you see they have surprisingly good collections uh, in most of these mm-hmm. places they have surprisingly good collections of russian art um, i mean saratov for example has a third largest museum in russia after petersburg and moscow it was started in 1885 uh, and it was by the way you can see their private initiative that it mm-hmm. was local merchants that were donating money because they were proud of their own museum they have money they are proud of it and they would like to show that their museum reflect their pride for example also in Saratov I was extremely surprised that the city museum is located in the house that belonged to one of the merchants who donated to to that city museum and they so donated their house for their local museum but you understand what I mean that Mm -hmm. there was this private initiative that they were proud of their places they were living there they were building their palaces with cast iron balconies entrances and also uh, local gentry donated uh, so collections to the museum as in some of these places that's why this combination of this camp completely lack- lacking this or missing this current initiative private initiative of individual uh, there and with contrast it's immense because you see that certainly country can grow only through private initiative I mean, for England, that's like a basic law. For yeah, everything's private over here. Yes, exactly. For America, that's basic principle. Uh, but in Russia, the major principle is still you know, all is state. Uh, and that's why the, the, the reason for the economic growth is state, state and state. And that, that's why, as you can imagine, it creates all these problems. And also, because these are dead ends. Because you asked me about hermitage exhibitions and I mentioned that exhibition on Palmyra on Syria. The very idea of making an exhibition about the possible reconstruction of the temple that was completely destroyed in the Syrian war now is a nonsense. But that's a state initiative. We have to show that we can reconstruct even Syrian Roman monuments. And what would that show? Power? Ambition? Greatness? Any of your teachers at the university or whatever archaeologists would say, sorry, if archaeological monument is completely destroyed, you cannot reconstruct it. Mm-hmm. But Russian point of view, no, is different. We say it was de- destroyed in Palmyra. We will reconstruct it just to show that we are able. Yes. And that will be our contribution to the Syrian heritage. Although, as you can imagine, one can say, sorry, we have so much of our local problems. Why do we need extra this idea? But also Hermitage takes this idea of this exhibition without any discussion. Hermitage, let's say, director 
wouldn't say, sorry, come on, from archaeological art historian's point of view, the idea to reconstruct this temple is impossible. Why should we make an exhibition? No, but he understands perfectly well. We are state museum. That's state idea, part of state ideology. We will show this exhibition. You have to put on whatever they ask Yes, you. exactly. I mean, looking at the current six exhibitions you have, they're extremely diverse. Yeah. I mean, you have minimalism, porcelain, um, you know, Fabergé, Raphael, Beaton. And so are those all things that your museum has been told to put on? No, not, not quite. But you see, not the same. The, 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 it's different because you see Hermitage is huge. It is an encyclopedic museum. It is, uh, as I always say, it is something like uh, if you would uh, unite in London, Buckingham Palace, British Museum and National Gallery. I mean, not the quality of the collection, I mean, but more or less the, the, the variety of collections. Because Hermitage is a palace that has Western art, that has archaeological connections, that has Eastern art, prehistoric art, etc. That's why a variety of exhibitions. That's not the result of what we are told, but in some respects, I mean, certainly Hermitage in, in general has some kind of liberty, uh, but still, I mean, it can happen that some exhibitions could have an ideological touch. You know, thinking about all of the exhibitions and things, you know, if you were to be appointed director of the Hermitage in a hypothetical kind of situation, what would be your keenest ambition for this museum to continue this diversity? No, I suppose um, Hermitage will face, probably very soon, the challenge of transforming the way of its organization, and that will be the major challenge of the Hermitage. Mm -hmm. uh, as a huge state institution, it has a huge stuff. I am. I cannot exclude that one of the results of this pandemic year or years will be that also state will have to cut its stuff, and it could provoke some kind of reforms in the museums in general, not only in Hermitage, because as all our museums are state. I'm afraid there could be, and I would even, even dream of that, there could be reforms to change um, the way they are organized. Mm -hmm. uh, we have too many people in the staff that's known everywhere in the world. But uh, the diversity of the exhibitions will remain just because Hermitage has such a diversity of collections. But I suppose the major challenge will be uh, making it so 21st Museum, not from the point of view of its um, of its profile, but of the point of view of its in-organization. But I suppose many companies now are thinking about how to recognize them in the post-pandemic time. But future will show how it works. Yes, it's certainly a time of reflection and looking for, you know, new ways to approach old ways of organization or situations and yes i understand that a lot of museums have been changing around you know the way they show their art and the way that they present their collections to their viewers you know think whether they be successful or not you know it's all a learning curve exactly because we cannot predict um, how it will go further because i mean we all think now that people will jump out of their houses when it will be allowed and will, I don't know, run somewhere to see this, that, that. But also we all understand that not all people will do it immediately. I mean, not only from financial point of view, but from the point of view of their new habits. I mean... Uh, because 
if somebody is used to sit at home for so long, then it is very hard to go for a walk. <laughs> it can, yes. Once you've been inside for so long, the outside yeah. world can seem rather daunting. Yeah. But, you know, one you know question that I always like to ask, what are you most looking forward to, personally or in relation to your creating, your writing practice, you know, once all of these larger restrictions are lifted? Mm. It's a hard question, because you see, as I mentioned to you, that I'm not sure that it will be so easy to go for a walk when you are closed for a long time. One can take it uh, literally, but one can take it also metaphorically. Uh, I mean, uh, we all understand that the world is going to change, and many of the new world practices will be different from the from current one and from previous one. Uh, I find that, in fact, after the end of this time, we will see even the clearer gap between pre-online practices and current online practices. Mm. Because life is mostly divided. Some people were so much addicted to their real experiences. You understand what I mean? Yes, yes. Looking at art, looking at people, talking to people, communicating, uh, being with them. Now we are getting so much used to online life that I, I find that such an immense gap between the younger generation and elder ones just here. And it is not age, it is way to what, a, to, to what extent one is um, addicted to new um, ways of, of, of life. That's why um, I would dream just to go to Rome. I would say that it is a private dream. Um, I'm not sure that lecturing as it was before will be as, as it was before that will be in the same way in future. I doubt it very much. Uh, I doubt very, very much. And also, as I was lecturing in some educational centers of the museums in Petersburg, I doubt very much that it will continue in the same way as it was. Uh, so you see, you agree, and we all understand that it is going to change. Uh, also, way of writing, I'm afraid, is going to change in some ways. We will see. It is um, intriguing, intriguing. It's an That's unknown why. entity. It's absolutely unknown. That's why, so, uh, I mean, I understand that my, uh, when I say, oh, I would dream to go to Rome, sounds like a joke, but probably joke is our salvation here. Yes, I think everyone needs to, you know, dream big and keep an yeah. open, yeah. positive mind. And I think... Yeah. You know, it's not absurd to dream to go to Rome. I yeah. myself very much miss traveling. And I think yeah. Italy will be one of the first places I'd love to go and visit once I can, you know, finally get on a plane and leave England. Yeah, let's dream of it. And dream of travel we shall. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you so much. And thank you for opening new horizons to me with the new techniques. And it was delight. <laughs> really, it was delight. Like many years ago, we were sitting. I still remember you see, I remember that restaurant. In, in Petersburg, in such in a cellar in one of the houses called Teplo. And it was so charming and nice. And it so was um, below, it was quite small and cramped, if I remember. Yeah, yeah, but yeah so I remember. It was, was cozy. Yeah. It was beautiful. I mean, I had such a fabulous time, you know, being but, in Russia feels like a lifetime ago. Although and it is it delight to talk to you, really. Delight. Five, delight. five years ago. Yes, thank you so much for speaking thank with you so me. Much. Thank you. Thank you.